Welcome to Screw It. We're just going to talk about comics. That's comic books, everybody. This is the only podcast where two brothers talk about a thing they love, and that thing is comic books. I'm one of your two hosts, slash brothers, slash kind of comedian, Kevin Hines. I am the other of all those things, unless Will Hines. Do you think when I say that I'm a, a host slash brother, people think I'm saying I'm their brother? Yeah, I assume they're like, wow, what a way to find this out. I have mm. a sibling. Because that's not what I mean. I mean, I'm just a brother of someone. And that someone, in this case, I'm speaking specifically of you, but also, I guess, technically Brian. But I'm not referring to him in that moment, I guess. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I guess if Brian hears that and goes, oh, my brother, that's the only person, that's the only listener that I think is getting the right message. Man, we're going to have to email a lot of people. Should we go back and re-record the openings to yes. all of our episodes? Yes. All right. So then at this point, it's probably all been corrected. Yes. Great. No problem. Um, Kevin, Oof. what are we doing this episode? Oof. I know. I feel relieved. Um, we are in the middle of our Marvel first season, which uh, is where we are covering the first appearance of sort of the classic original Marvel heroes. We've covered Iron Man and Doctor Strange and uh, that's it. And Ant-Man and Thor. No, FF Ant-Man and Thor. And yeah, yeah, that's right. And today <laughs> we're covering the strangest superheroes of them all, Will. The X-Men. Yeah. So strange. Yeah. You know, they got um, costumes and weird powers and a leader and a bad guy. And a, so weird. So we're weird. We're sort of going chronologically in the order they were released. We covered the ones we had covered previously first. And then other than that, we're going chronologically. So... Last week, we covered Doctor Strange and Iron Man. And mm-hmm. so the next new Marvel title to come out after that was the X-Men beating the Avengers, I think, by like a month. OK, um, I'm excited to to talk about it. I think I had not read this issue before. Maybe I had like skimmed it very quickly or something like that. I had assumed I had read it. And then when I but when I read this, it was not fam- a few <laughs> panels I've seen. Like I've definitely <laughs> yeah. seen some of the panels yes. uh, on social media and stuff, but I had not read this issue. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, I, I want to get into it. I'm excited to talk about it. So, but before like, we... where was Wolverine and Nightcrawler? Yeah, I know. Where's the brood? <laughs> it's not the X-Men without the brood. Yeah. Um, yeah, we'll talk about that in a little bit. Um, um, so first, do we want to get into any adjacent slash miscellaneous comics related stuff? You mean like media stuff? Yes. Yeah. So two weeks ago, I said I was going to talk about a podcast and then I forgot about it last week. Yes. And then you texted me afterwards and said, hey, you never talked about that podcast, but it was too late. Too late. Yeah. So. So I'm going to talk about that now. OK. Um. So I listened to a podcast and ugh, I wish I at this moment could tell you exactly the name of that podcast. So let Why me, bother? Let me... I mean, first of all, I, while you're looking that up, I'm going to say that the end of last episode, we also said pretty definitely that we were going to be covering the Avengers this episode. And we <laughs> are right. also not doing that. We were doing the X-Men because mm-hmm. as soon as we finished recording, we double checked the chronological released publication dates of these heroes and found out that the X-Men came before Avengers. And frankly, I don't even have confidence that we have that right. But so we said at the end of it, we're going to do the Avengers and the X-Men, maybe just the Avengers. We're not doing the Avengers at all. We're only doing the X-Men. That's right. I mean, what we said on social media has been correct all along. I, I said the X-Men when I originally posted this. Yeah. Uh, so that part has been corrected. Only the people my Instagram listen to posts. the podcast are being punished. Yeah, that's right. Though somebody yelled at me recently because they're like, uh, they're like, oh, I wanted to read along. And then minutes into your podcast, I had to pause to read all the other Ant-Man issues you guys are covering. <laughs> Which I had posted on social media, but like a day before. Right. I, I thought that might happen. So generally, That's... like, I don't know what we're going to cover until like the day of. And we're like, oh, let's cover a few more issues. And then I post early before before Wednesday saying we're covering more than just what we said. <laughs> I don't know. We're I mean, disorganized. We're disorganized. At least it's only a couple of 60s issues, which tend to be pretty short and simple. It's not like we did all of Cerebus. <laughs> wow. Right? That would be a huge, yeah. a huge mistake. Yeah. And uh, we meant to do X-Men. Instead, we covered 300 issues about a talking <laughs> aardvark. Um, the podcast I listened to was called Eating the Fantastic. Uh, it's hosted by Scott Edelman, who I guess wrote for Marvel Comics briefly. Yeah. I, actually, I don't know if briefly. Wrote for Marvel Comics. Let's just say that. Maybe 30 years. 
Maybe, maybe still is. Sure. Um, I never listened to this podcast. Someone linked to it, uh, and it was with Al Milgram, okay. who is an editor slash writer slash artist for Marvel Comics. Uh, kind of did everything. Um, and I was interested in listening to it because I've a while back I was trying to read the Roger Stern era of Spider-Man. Okay. But to read it correctly, I was also reading the spectacular Spider-Man issues that came out at the same time. Basically, I was trying to like simulate uh reading it month to month. Okay. Um, I was kind of like going arc to arc more, but I was kind of going back and forth between spectacular and amazing. And Al Milgram does a lot of art during that era. And I really, I really dug his art. And I, that's saying a lot because it was being compared to John Romita Jr., who is my second favorite Spider-Man artist, I think. High praise. Um, after a little man named Steve Hembeck. Ditko. Okay, nope. Ditko. Yeah, <laughs> Steve Ditko. Steve Ditko. So, uh, but, so Al Milgram, who's, you know, Bill Mantlo and Al Milgram are doing the B title to Roger Stern and John Romita Jr. I mean, I feel like that is a tough spot to be in and whether they're being raised by the quality of work they're going opposite of, or they're just that good. Like I really enjoy this B title. Sure. Um, but I mostly knew Mal Milgram as sort of like an editor. Uh, Cause he was like an editor when we were reading comics. Yeah. I think I remember the assistant editors month for maybe spectacular Spider-Man that Fred Hembeck drew the art. It was like a regular story, but drawn by Fred Hembeck, who, you know, mostly done these very cartoony sort of mm -hmm. like on purpose, childlike representations of like Marvel things. And the assistant editors month, which was the month where they kind of like, they each, I don't know, each, many of the comics did like a gimmick because supposedly the editors were gone and the assistant editors were allowed to go nuts and do like yeah. crazy things or something like that. Um, and so for, I think, Spectacular, Fred Hembeck draws the art. And then yeah. I think Al Milgram draws the last page. Either he draws the last page or he's the editor of the book and he, like, shows up at the end. He's like, what's been going on here? Fred Hembeck you yeah. ruined this thing. And he's like, oh, wait a minute. The regular artist did one page. Yes, yes. Here it is. The drama, the pathos. That's what I, uh, I've been missing. Put this up. And then the last page is, like, normal art. I think it might be drawn by Milgram. Um, that's a, that's a, I, I remember that issue very distinctly. I think that's a good gimmick. That's, I mean, it's a weird gimmick as a, a thing for the comic, but if you're going to do that gimmick, that is a fun one to do. Yeah. Um, so anyway, Milgram, did he talk so, about, was, was this talked about? <laughs> no, he didn't talk about that at all. <laughs> um, so I guess this is a podcast Scott Edelman has been doing forever. It's like 190 episodes or whatever. He has lunch. Uh, and sits across from people. And because he worked in the industry, he's got lots of friends in the industry. This is the only episode I've ever listened to. I found it so fascinating because mm. um, Al Milgram kind of talks about breaking in to comics. Uh, he's good buddies with Jim uh, Starlin. Okay. Um, and uh, basically his stories are just like, yeah, we were both trying to break in. He's like, Jim Starlin got work. He was better than me. Yeah. Uh, and you like talk about like going to like panels. People look at their art and be like, well, Jim Starlin's good. <laughs> it's one, like, he was just, it was like, he was very self-deprecating about his qualities and sort of like more than I think deserved. You would just talk about like, as if he was a bad artist. I don't think Al Milgram is a bad artist at all. Um, But it was just really interesting hearing him talk about it, how he first got work and he was like late on everything. Um, And then, quickly got better about being on time, which to me was like what I would think of Al Milgram as the guy who'd like get handed books all the time that were like behind schedule. Okay. Um, he was like one of those artists who was like pretty good, but like quicker than maybe the better artists. Right. So he's not, he's, he's not a premier marquee artist, but he's, a, he's a good like workman. Yeah. Anyway, uh, it was just really interesting hearing him talk about breaking in. He talked about like working for other artists like as like a ghost artist for some of these guys yeah. where like they couldn't keep up with all the work they were getting. And so he would either do breakdowns or finishes on the breakdowns of someone else's books. Okay. Um, yeah. And then those people would get in trouble for like not doing their own art. <laughs> and like, it was just like a very interesting, like wild west look at Marvel comics of the time. And like, there was like an editor who was like, I'm going to fire your buddy that 
that you know and like al milgram's the one who's doing the art for this guy and he has to like yeah. go find this guy and say like they're gonna fire you unless you turn this book in on time <laughs> and all these stories are just really interesting and fascinating i was i loved it near the variant he talks about becoming an editor almost by accident and um that's maybe the least interesting part to me i mean i think that was also very interesting but i, I would have just listen to him talk about being a working artist in Marvel and DC for three times as long as this. I thought it was really <laughs> great. I really do think his art is good. I went back through my Instagram, uh, uh, screw it Spidey, where I post these things. Um, and I just looked at some of the panels and like some of them, I'm like, oh, this is pretty good. But like some of them I really, st- I love. I'm just like, oh, these panels I cut out or I screen capped from uh, these issues. These are great panels. This is really good, good stuff. Um, I do think yeah, that I era, know, it was that, a good, interesting look at that era. Yeah. Was it so, uh, yeah. When I think of that era of Marvel, the one that's the one that we really started reading a lot when we were kids, like there's either these sort of like premier name artists like Walt Simonson, Frank Miller, where they had this like very, or Arthur Adams, like Bill Sinkevitz, like this very yeah. dis- distinctive style or this like kind of handful of like just quite good kind of journeyman artists where it was just sort of like good storytelling. I'm sure if I took a closer look, there'd be, you know, very sophisticated things going on that I didn't like notice, but the kind of art where it's not really taking focus and you're, you know, it's just sort of like doing a good job of telling the story. Um, Yeah. There's definitely, when I go back and read issues, there's certain issues I remember very fondly. And then some of them I read and I'm like, Oh, this issue is great. Some of them I'm like, Oh, this is a good story. And the art is kind of fine. And I'm surprised that the art is fine because I would like remember it so fondly. Yeah. Uh, these Al Milgram issues of Spectacular, these are sort of also like around when Cloak and Dagger debuted. Okay. Um, and he did some of those issues. Like um, just to put you in that era of the, the issues I'm looking at. Uh, yeah. Like it, especially next to John Romita, who just looks like, you know, like John Romita Jr. Pop- yeah, I mean, he's one of the best. He still is one of the best. He has yeah. been one of the best since he broke in. Uh, I think he, I personally think he's better than his father, though he would, of course, disagree with me on that if he's, yeah. uh, he's too much of a gentleman to not. But I, I, I think he is just one of the best artists Marvel has ever had. Um, you know, I, he, I, I think Al Milgram and the artists of that era are very fascinating. I think that era is very fascinating because it's also like. The he's Al Milgram came in like pre shooter, mm-hmm. um, and right? Then so shooters, dis- disorganized time, yeah. It was sort of a mess, it was fill in arts all the time. It was just like we just we got to get these books out, and then Shim Shooter takes over and things change a lot. But there's also a lot of things where, like, uh, certain pencilers, like I forget if it was Starlin or if it was Walt Simonson, somebody was working on a book and said, Oh, yeah, Milgram's gonna ink me from now on. Because he just and, made it look and, good. And Malgram was telling the story. He's like, this guy has no right to decide his own anchor. But they're just like, yeah, fine. <laughs> like it's a thing they don't have to worry about anymore. Like yeah. there's some aspect to that happening too. But it was just like this pencil liked the anchor. Like he's like, oh, I like how you make my work look. I want to keep working with you. Yeah, and, it's one of the many interesting things of reading Marvel, the untold story was getting, getting an idea that pre-shooter was kind of a mess, maybe a happy, frantic mess mm-hmm. but a mess nonetheless and then shooter came in and it was kind of like everybody was upset but it was more organized yeah there's um, also the, also maybe i related to milgram in the story in a, in a ucb analogy way okay where like he wasn't coming in with ditko and kirby and like this the the, the amazing boom years right he didn't come in at the very beginning we're like wow all the, where did all these great talents and ideas come from uh and he's not coming in when it became like a machine, he's coming in in between that moment. Like he squeaked in he, and he basically <laughs> says in this podcast, he's like, oh, if I'd come in later, I don't think I would have had work. There weren't enough books. Or if I'd come in earlier, there were like he had to come in then when like they just needed artists. Yeah. And then he got good enough. So you relate uh, to that. And I sort of related to that as a comedian where it's just sort of like, be like oh, yeah, my object man. work wasn't really there, but uh, they needed yeah. someone who could mime dishes. Yeah, like if I was at UCB at the beginning, I sometimes think like those people were there, there was there was a wide gulf between talent. And I think I would have easily gotten swept down into like the not as good people because mm-hmm. I don't think they were as good at like 
teaching people and helping right. people. It was just sort of like the good people were good, so they just took off. Yes. And you got lucky and maybe hooked up with them or you didn't and you sort of fell by the wayside. And then, you know, sort of boom, Wild West lots time. of people kind of came in, but they also were better at like helping you get better. And then it got, became so competitive. It's just like, oh, man, there's so many people want to be here. You got to be good already. But right. by that so, point, I was good already. So the era of like Manzukis and Hubel and Jackie Clark is like the 60s. Yeah. And then the era of like uh, Hell's Kitchen UCB solidly in the 90s post-image yeah. era. Uh, but you kind of slid in there during uh, – right before Shooter. Anthony <laughs> King would be Shooter. Yeah, yeah, I guess. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I think he would be, wouldn't he? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Brought order. Anyway, this is an analogy – for a handful of people are really enjoying. We're really winnowing down the audience. <laughs> uh, anyway, so I think I related to that. Anyway, I think it's a really interesting podcast. If you like 80s comics, I think look up this, uh, uh, what did I say? Dining with the Fantastic? Eating with the Fantastic? Eating, you said. Um, and it's it's a very recent episode of that with Al Milgram. Okay. I think it's really great. He looks like he just did one with Ron Mars. I might listen to that one too. Uh, you might. You I might don't know if the podcast. questions are that good, but like it's sort of a rambling exploration conversation, and I sort of dug it. Um, I'm sold. I'm going to check it out. Good, good wreck, Kev. Maybe we can get uh, out there. What about you? Yeah. I mean, honestly, maybe. <laughs> um, honestly, it made me go like, we should get Al Milgram on our podcast. I don't know what I would ask him. I would just uh, like talk. We got to read more before we get him on there. We have to do nah, research. Let's read one issue <laughs> and really drill him on it. <laughs> I'm just only going to ask him about assistant editors month. Um, <laughs> and he'll, be, he'll end up being like, that was Mark Grunewald or something. <laughs> yeah. I um I won't talk too much about mine because mine kind of needs like uh, more discussion. But I I basically started reading the Ultimate Spider-Man Brian Michael Bendis run. Uh, you and I have texted a little bit about this. Mm-hmm. Um, I read the first fourteen issues, um, and I really really enjoy it. And I you know I I've heard so many raves about it, and not really known directly um, what it felt like to read. And um, I think I I I can. I mean, this is going to sound insane to the many people who love this era, but I was like, oh, yeah, I, I get it. Like, this is like personal and emotional and kind of drilling down into uh, sort of a more serious look at the Ramita cast of characters. And then uh, and also like refreshing to not have any other heroes around like he's not running into anybody else that's just Spidey in that world. At least at first, yeah. At least in the ones that I've read. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a whole issue where he just tells Mary Jane his identity, and it's basically an issue-long conversation, almost like a bottle episode, and it feels it's a, very... It's a very famous issue of that run. And it's very refreshing. I didn't know that it was coming, and it's very just sort of refreshing when you come upon it. And it's, you know, and, and last Thanksgiving, I watched the spectacular Spider-Man cartoon for the first time at your house, Kevin, and they remind me of each other in a way. They both seem kind of like a smart revisiting of a lot of the elements. I mean, there's a lot of differences, but like there's a high emotional intelligence in both of those incarnations. Um, and I was like, oh, I can see where this sold a lot of people on the Spider-Man mythos. So yeah, I th- maybe, I think maybe that, we'll talk about it. Maybe we'll take a deeper dive at some point, but I, I've been really enjoying uh, reading those. I think that series may be a second only to the 90s Fox cartoon to like turning people into Spider-Man fans. The Brian Michael Bendis print series? Yeah, yeah. I think that is the second high, like that's the second most cited thing I hear being like, that's how I got into Spider-Man. Mm. The number one is that the 90s Spider-Man cartoon. But then the next thing is that ultimate Spider-Man run, which I feel like you didn't want to talk to me about it because I was like, I didn't really like it. Uh, uh, it didn't it well, didn't work for me. I've read most of it. Um, I, I'm, I always also, inter- I'm always interested in your opinions. Even when I disagree with you, I think you back them up. You know? I mean, I think I am. I mean, I am clearly wrong. So many people love it. So many, many, <laughs> many people love it. So many people cite it as their favorite Spider-Man. So many people who say like 616 Spider-Man, the, the main universe Spider-Man, is the real Spider-Man, but Ultimate Spider-Man is my favorite run. Mm-hmm. Um, so many people say things like that that I'm just like, yeah, I, it just for some reason it missed me when I read it or the uh, I don't know. Something about it just didn't click well, for me. The you go ahead. Yeah. Uh, I also find it interesting you stopped at issue 14 because I, re- if I recall, like it's very clearly six issue chunks. You started like you stopped like a mid storyline. Yeah. Uh, I read the Mary Jane issue, which is 13. And the next issue is Doc Ock. And I think I just got ran out of gas. I just was t- I just happened to be like tired <laughs> yeah. of reading that day. It wasn't anything about like the stories or whatever. 
Um, Just a weird choice. Yep. Um, yeah, it's like I watched The Godfather and then half a Godfather part two, and I'd like to talk about it. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, the art is interesting. Mark Bagley did all these mm-hmm. issues. And um, um, I, I don't at first kind of like the way he renders sort of just like figures and things. His illustration style is is different than what I expect and seems almost kind of anime and sort of fast. But the composition of the panels is really good. Like the storytelling is really strong. Like it's really easy to read it. Um, and I, I wonder if Bagley's style felt modern and kind of like a refreshing change of pace. Um, uh, there's something about it that has like a little, a couple spoonfuls of that Todd McFarlane exaggeration in it. Like as opposed to, you know, Ditko and John Romita Sr., there's sort of this anatomically kind of rigid look to it it looks kind of real uh um, I, I don't know but i so bagley and bendis's run i think was like the longest marvel consecutive run by a creative team and so i'm eager to read more of it so i i just i started diving into that and um we still have a lot of spidey fans who listen to this because we started off as a spider-man podcast mm-hmm. so i'm well, finally that it has of, been suggested to us i mean it's a really interesting run so i'm excited to keep keep you know it's it's a huge chapter in my spider-man knowledge that i was left empty and i'm excited to do, do you know how mark bagley got into comics or he got into marvel no he did the marvel, a joke answer but i the marvel tryout it. book oh really yeah he did the marvel tryout book and got a job because of it like <laughs> he's like he's like charlie getting a golden ticket yeah um and like i think his first book was the oft-requested book we cover um new warriors oh wow interesting i think that was his first book he did New Warriors for a while. He did Thunderbolts for a while. He did Amazing Spider-Man for a while. And he did Ultimate Spider-Man forever. Um, so interesting. What a what a what a uh Cinderella story. Yeah, it sort of feels like it's like the thing everyone hopes could happen. Yeah, right. Um, that I kind of was almost wondering if it ever did happen. It sounds like it did. Yeah. Um, so that that's mine. Maybe we'll talk more about that at some point. Uh, okay. should we get into some X-Men? Let's do it. So let's do this first. We haven't been doing this next thing, but Kevin, why don't you try, or I'll do it if if you don't want to, kind of like what is, this is a weirdly big question. <laughs> let's say someone's never heard of the X-Men. What is their importance to the MCU? And I feel like that's a, that's a two-part question, really. Yeah, because I mean, this X-Men isn't, isn't that. Right, yeah, that's what's, that's what's weird. Like, um, um, I don't know how to even answer that question. I mean, the X-Men... As part of the uh, not even the MCU, which makes me think of the film, right? The, yes, the the Marvel Comics universe. Um, they are, I think, arguably the second most important part after Spider Man. Yeah. Uh, as far as popularity goes, um, they also I think pushed, um, both diversity, mm-hmm. and they also pushed. This real, I mean, Spider-Man has it a little bit, but this real feeling of um, uh, not underdog, but sort of uh, outcasts, outcasts, uh, you know, there's something that you can be relate, relate to if you're just like a nerd. You can relate to it if you are a different gender or mm-hmm. a different sexuality or a different race. There's there's things that connect to them so much because they are so hated and feared and treated as secondhand citizens. That everyone can find sort of an angle to connect to them. That is at least the classic Claremont era X Men. Yeah, and um, and what's maybe interesting is they have this whole first chapter, which is sort of like not that impactful at all, right? Like they, like like you were saying, the the chapter, the first hundred issues, or really ninety three issues. And not even that, the first 65 issues, because then they went into reprints, were just like an idea that didn't take off. They were very much like also ran characters in the Marvel Universe during the 60s and early 70s. Yeah, I mean, I haven't read a ton of that era, but from the few issues I've just read uh, for uh, at the start, they just feel like these weirdos. Like, we not, not like weirdos like outcasts, but just like weird powers and kind of like... Silly. It's almost like silly, the silly heroes. Yeah, except except for Jean Grey, their powers seem almost useless. Like uh and especially if you put this next to 
the Fantastic Four, which at this time is the only other Marvel team book, which feels they feel like, you know, the FF feel like a premier team. And these guys feel sort of like, hey, we're also heroes. Yeah, so um, and, and we and but I would say not weird enough to be like distinctive, like the FF are a premier team, but the FF are way more visually striking than this initial incarnation of the mm-hmm. X-Men. Um, so who do we got in here? If the X-Men as it's born here is Professor X, mm-hmm. a telepath uh, in a wheelchair who leads the team, Cyclops with his laser eye beams. Angel with his actual wings coming out of his back. Iceman, who at this point just looks like a snowman. Yeah. Uh, though he'll later look more blocky and ice-like. Um, Jean Grey, the telepath telekinetic. Marvel Girl. Marvel Girl. And then the Beast, which he really just is sort of like an acrobat here with big feet. It's it, Yeah, he's got big feet and big hands. Yeah, so he's like extremely agile and I guess strong. He's not even shown to be that smart, which also becomes – he kind of he's like the super scientist of the group. Yeah, I scared ahead. Like, it looks like issue three, he starts getting the loquacious vocabulary kicks in around then. But these the first only, two issues, he just talks like anybody else. And maybe even a little like Ben Grimm, like a little tough guy mm-hmm. kind of. Um, so and, you know, that happens with a lot of superheroes where it takes them some issues to kind of like fully settle into the version that they are. Uh Sure. But, even Ben Grimm was sort of like real angry and scary at first and then became sort of soft and silly. Yes. Um, and so in this issue, we have and and, and, and it's it's weird to summarize the X-Men because they're so famous. It's kind of like we're doing a movie podcast and saying what Wizard of Oz was. But like the story of the X-Men is that they're mutants as opposed to having their powers given to them by some freak accident. They're born with their powers. They are a new species of human called Homo Superior and that. You know, they hit puberty and get their powers, sometimes at birth, sometimes at puberty. And Professor X is rounding them up to protect them and also to fight the eventual rise of evil mutants. That's what he mm-hmm. says in this issue. And we we meet the premier evil mutant, Magneto, uh, in this issue. And yeah. and like, like Kevin was saying, the X-Men would, with the Chris Claremont, Dave Cockrum slash John Byrne era, become massively popular and influential transform marvel and superheroes and comic books uh you know produce some of the top characters in marvel history uh, second only to spider-man maybe sometimes surpassing spider-man for certain eras yeah there's there's i mean you could argue that and um and to this day the x-men are you know so many people's favorite characters who they relate to uh and then even after claremont left the x-men went through several more massively interesting and you know eras and the most recent powers of x house of x the x-men are still shaking things up over at marvel yeah i mean as much as i always talk about these characters being able to like i would wish spider-man lived in his own universe apart from marvel um the x-men could easily populate an entire universe by themselves because there's so many of them and it's so expansive and it's such a yeah. and they they're they're like the early Fantastic Four, where like because of them, there's just all these other worlds that have been opened up that exist in the X-Men universe. Oh yeah. You could if you if you restricted a comic to only X-Men characters, you wouldn't even you wouldn't even think anything was missing, you know? Yeah. Um uh in a way it would make more sense because it's weird to have the Avengers, as we've said before, to have mm-hmm. a world where the Avengers are beloved, but the X-Men are feared really doesn't make any sense. No. You just kind of have to go with that. But um but okay, having said all that, this first issue is so far off from <laughs> what the X Men yeah, yeah. would eventually be. Couldn't spend so much time talking about a thing that is not going to be in this comic at all. <laughs> and the weird thing is, this is a Lee Kirby joint. This is not yeah. like a Don Heck Stan Lee thing. This is not a Larry Lieber um, mm-hmm. thing. This is like the two main guys. Um, Tom and it. Uh, Tom Brevrut posted uh, uh, a thing a while back, uh, maybe a few years back where he supposed or someone supposed to him and he looked into it, whether X-Men was a rush job to fill the gap that Avengers was supposed to have, but because Avengers wasn't ready yet. That that would make sense because there's something about this that just feels not thought through. Mm-hmm. Um, and especially because it's the, the two guys who have often made great stuff, even under even under pressure. And I would say this comic is not bad. 
No, it's not. It's not as like slapdash as like the Ant Man stories. It's not as thin as the first couple Doctor Strange stories. I don't even. Um, I think this is better quality probably than Iron Man or Thor. The first issues. It's more finished, right? It's got a more yeah. complete world. Um, it's missing something. Like even this cover, like with the big white space background and just the X Men kind of mm-hmm. leaping to attack Magneto in the lower left hand corner. It's a fine cover, but it looks it looks kind of pasted together compared to like Amazing Fantasy fifteen or FF number one or even Hulk number one. Yeah, their uniforms are a little they're they're fine, but the fact that they're all kind of the same kind of makes them sort of get lost a little bit. Yeah. In a way that doesn't happen to the FF. And the Avengers, obviously, they're all very different looking, even yeah. though the Avengers is sort of a hodgepodge team. Yeah. They're all very unique looking. We're here like, you know, Cyclops and Angel and even Marvel Girl and Beast kind of all look the same. Iceman's the only one who stands out. Right, right. Um, I mean, we still, I, I totally agree. It looks not as striking as other Marvel properties. I mean, we do have the Kirby originality visually here. You know, even Jack Kirby in an off day still can't cannot deliver the cliched presentation. They don't have capes. They kind of have that. They look a little awkward in an endearing way. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you know, this version never really took over or or became the explosion that a lot of other Lee Kirby properties would, but. It's also, can, I think, hard for me and probably for you as well to like try to ignore the 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 future X Men stories from this. Yeah, you can't like not think about those. Where like maybe this would seem cooler if like those stories had never happened. Because right. like there's there's something about this that's like I can't help but be like, hey, it'd be better if Nightcrawler was here. <laughs> yeah, you think about just like the nuance of the new X Men's personalities, like Nightcrawler's kind of joy, Storm's like mm-hmm. kind of severity, Wolverine's, you know, fury, and uh, the love <laughs> of Cyclops and and Phoenix. Yeah, and even like Magneto, who is just sort of very. I mean, his power is cool, but he seems just such a he's like cookie a cutter Doom villain knockoff. Just like speaking of himself in the third person and saying "bah" and like. Wanting to take yeah. over the world. He, yeah, he's pretty He's pretty forgettable. Where the last Magneto stories we read were like him being fully redeemed and becoming the leader of the X-Men. Where the last time we saw him from our reading experience, which is like a fully fleshed out three-dimensional human. Yes. So knowing that that's coming also hurts this, this read. Um, yeah, it seems relative to you're right that it's a better story than a lot of the other ones we've read in that it's more full but it somehow also seems by the numbers compared to compared to other marvel stuff yeah stan and kirby are too good now at making a pretty good comic like they've learned how to make good comics through like the the growing pains they've had on ff and thor and, and all these other books so like here they they know how to do it now and it hurts them. <laughs> yeah, the, the bar is higher now. They've raised the bar for themselves. Th- this looks like kind of a DC knockoff to me, more than the FF. Well, and some people not, think not, it not is it's a Doom D- Patrol. Not... Some people have suggested it's a Doom Patrol knockoff, though it came so fast after Doom Patrol. I mean, maybe. I don't know. Right, because I guess Doom Patrol has somebody in a wheelchair who's like leading the team. Yeah, and they're a bunch of weirdos and yeah. stranger, strange characters. Um. And Kirby does seem to be having less fun visually with their powers relative to the fun he normally has visually. There's still tons of really inventive battle scenes and stuff in this issue. But yeah, it does. It feels like, yeah, it feels like a rush job. Well, without knowing exactly what's coming out of this time, like, you know, at a certain point, he's putting more energy into FF and sort of like churning, but also like laying out tons of books and just churning out a a sheer amount of quantity. And Lee probably is like, you got to do this whole issue. It's a launch, right? We got to get this out of the gate good. And he's working on Avengers probably at the same time. It's, yeah, you know, like there's not a lot of backgrounds in this. Yeah, the, yeah, it just, it looks pretty spare, just kind of, uh, mm-hmm. and, and you were saying you remembered certain panels. I actually, I don't know if I do. Like I, there, there are not iconic panels in here the way there's like, even like Thor has iconic panels and like. Uh, I mean, oh, no to me, they're doesn't. not iconic so much as I've seen them on social media, like where Iceman makes himself look like a snowman. I've seen oh, that. Okay. Okay. Or when Jean Grey first shows up and they're all 
mooning over her. <laughs> yeah. Um, like those things I've definitely seen before. Once they get like the battle sequence, I don't recognize those at all. But like there's certainly a sequence where like they're all looking around the corner at her. I've seen that before, <laughs> but not in like a sequence of like, oh, I've read this and I remember it, but just sort of like someone posted that panel and, I, and it stuck out to me because it's sort of cheesy or dumb. Yeah. Um, well, what should we do? Should we go through this? Should we take a break and then go through this issue? Yeah. All right. We'll take a short break and then we'll go through the issue. Hey, Kev, we're back. Oh, neat. Um. So uh, what do we got here at the top? Um, All the X-Men are sort of flying into this empty, vague room <laughs> with Professor X. Professor X looks cool. Yeah. I, I think X is the best designed character of this book. His eyebrows and, and just his, like, being in a wheelchair and being bald, like, all that stuff sort of works for him. Yeah, and just, you know, speaking to, you know, with telepathy. I, I don't really know what's going on in this cover because Iceman is sliding down a pole from nowhere slightly higher up in the same room <laughs> angels flying in you know the high ceiling uh high ceiling rooms of all marvel characters but like it, just, it doesn't look like they should all fit here like they look kind of weirdly crammed together yeah uh, and then they like basically spend some time putting a blanket on professor x and 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 reminding you of their powers <laughs> Or yeah, letting you know about their powers. And they're squabbling a little bit, which is the Marvel team way. Everyone's yep. always a little grouchy with each other. Then they go through a training regimen, which lets us see their powers. They have to fight each other a little bit. So we get a couple pages of them just battling, sparring, yeah, again, or whatever. Like kind of okay machines, but not super elaborate Kirby machines. And background, no backgrounds, no backgrounds throughout this. Right. Um, and, you know, we, the powers are, I would say, weird, but not distinctively weird. Like Snowman, excuse me, Iceman keeps just like putting ice cubes on people and people touch them and they're like temporarily hands get cold, basically. Yeah. <laughs> Beast is so, just very agile. Mm -hmm. um, this is a this is not the danger room. Next issue, we're going to get the danger room, which is the X-Men's very famous like training simulator grounds. This is just in the living room where Professor yeah. X has all these devices like spitting out. Yeah. It's it's also like there I guess this is your chance to get to know their personalities, but their personalities seem to be like Iceman is a little younger and jokey, and Cyclops is the leader. So he's slightly it. more responsible. And then also Professor X is doing that thing in the, uh, what happens a lot in the Marvel Marvels of the 60s of calling out names of plans and specific amounts of time to yeah. show leadership. <laughs> Do ah, it in three exactly. seconds exactly. Yeah, 1.5 seconds for maneuver M or whatever. Like that was like Stan Lee's way of showing this guy knows what he's doing. Like, yeah, uh, he can do stuff to the second. Which never really works. Doesn't really even work when the FF do it. It certainly doesn't feel cool in here to me. Um, and, then, but, and then after like six pages of this, which is good but not great, you know, uh, mm -hmm. Yeoman's work from the one of the greatest – from the greatest superhero comics artist of all time equals it's okay. Um, he probably did this in 10 minutes. Yeah. Uh, and then Professor X kind of weirdly – yells at them to like stop clowning around because he has an important mission there's a close-up on his eyes a, a very intense close-up on professor x's eyes where he summons them all together and the mission is a girl's joining the team a most attractive young lady yeah they told. don't we're we don't stop talking about how how hot marvel girl is for the whole issue like her yeah. like prettiness is mentioned every three panels it's one of the horniest books we've got going here <laughs> yeah yeah uh, I mean, I guess they are all teenagers, but it is um, hard to read. Uh, yeah, like they all rush to the window when she's coming up. Wow, she's a living doll, a redhead. Look at that face and the rest of her. All of a sudden, I'm in no hurry to graduate from this place. A girl, says uh, Iceman. Big deal. I'm glad I'm not a wolf like you guys. Uh, Iceman, who's, cartoon. Iceman, who has now uh, been come out, has come out as gay. So uh, this is they're kind of planting seeds, maybe yeah. a little bit here. <laughs> who knew? Who very, knew? Very progressive. Yeah, the many many years of him dating people uh, was them trying to throw us off the scent. But yeah, um, 
it really, I mean, it works for Iceman. Uh, but yeah, I, I thought that was funny to read that now, knowing where his character would go in the later years. Um, but yeah, so then uh, Jean enters and she is a telekinesis. She has telekinetic powers and she shows them off by like shelving books. And she's also a telepath, right? No, not yet. Okay. Not in these stories. That happens later. Okay, so she's a telekinetic. Yeah, at some point that is given to her and I don't know when. Yeah, it's obviously before the Claremont era. Uh, after after Jean Grey uh, demonstrates her powers, uh, Beast uh, gives her a kiss right in the cheek. And yeah, she flings him across the room. Good for her, at least. Yeah, uh, she kind of spins him around and shows that she can handle herself with these um, incredibly horny uh, dudes. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm amazed she doesn't drop out of the school immediately. <laughs> She shows up. She's the most powerful one, and they all try to kiss her. <laughs> it's also a few issues after this where Professor X thinks about how he's in love with her, too, which is a horrible. Oh, really? wrong panel. Um, well, it's just like you can just see Stanley trying to throw anything like something's got to work. Yeah. Maybe this love triangle. <laughs> and I, I don't know. So. You know, like we've said when we did all the FF issues, female characters in 60s Marvel, it's not so good. <laughs> it's not yeah, so yeah. great. They're mostly there just to be attractive and to sort of um, – but Jean Grey does have the – she's the most powerful X-Men here. Right? Yeah, I mean I would say in the, in the scale of female characters we've seen, she's handled good for Stan Lee and Jack Kirby. I, I mean she has agency and she's powerful. And she's not taking guff from these guys. So, yeah, you can, I don't know, relative to she, like. She's definitely over the invisible girl. And I'd say even over the wasp who mostly in those early issues talks about how handsome other people are. Right. So um, a low bar, but uh, she's cleared yeah. it pretty handily. Uh, then we go to Magneto um, with the with a great Jack Kirby helmet. Um, yeah. <laughs> You know, the of sort of Galactus slash Inhumans uh, level of elaborateness in his wardrobe. Uh, and he wants to take over the world, and he's using his pretty infinite magnetic powers to just take over an army base. Yeah, he wants to, like, because they've got missiles. So he sort of just, like, walks in and makes their guns and tanks attack them. Um, you know, he looks ridiculous, but and they even think he looks a little ridiculous, but, you know. They can't stop him. He's like pulling missiles out of silos. Like he's massively powerful, right? He launches a missile with his mm -hmm. magnetic powers. He can fly. He can repel humans. It's one of these things where magnetism can just be bent to do what anything, basically. Yeah, they don't have he, a shot against this guy. I mean, Magneto, as he's portrayed here, I think could beat Superman. Like it looks like he could just freeze Superman in place. I'm not going to take this sort of Superman slander. <laughs> Uh, but yes, um, he seems he seems to be the most powerful character we have seen in the Marvel Universe, this side of Galactus, for sure. So he, he takes Cape Citadel handily. Then we cut back to Marvel Girl putting on her costume and just kind of posing for nobody. All the X-Men are peering around the corner like the monkeys. Yeah, like a Scooby-Doo um, cartoon. <laughs> where did the new doll go? Oh, there she is. Wow, looks like she was poured into that uniform. So a nice tight uniform for the boys. Um, Marvel Girl's mad at them and kind of kind of yells at them and we're we're supposed to see them as kind of a family of brother and sisters, I think. Yeah, yeah. Just, you know, like brothers and sisters do. They always moon after their sister. Yeah. But yes, I know what you mean. Like they're sort of bickering and, and they, they seem to put up with each other's annoying behavior. Yeah, you're supposed to see them as kind of teasing each other and telling each other to, hey, lay off, would you? And like, and be comfortable with each other. So then Professor X says, okay, the first evil mutant has arrived. Magneto, go defeat him. They go fight him, and they do. They 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 win back the base, and he flies off. They don't capture him, but they win back the base. Yeah, that's already some classic X-Men going on there. They let the bad guy get away. <laughs> yeah. That's what we've come to expect. Yeah. Um, uh, there's some fun moments where, like, uh, Magneto tries to push it, like, just pushes a flaming canister of rocket fuel at them. I mean, I guess maybe he's pushing it with his magnetic powers, but it looks like he's just shoving it on wheels <laughs> uh, for a guy who earlier threw missiles around. It seems so inept. We've also got some fun Kirby transitions, like when the X-Men are suiting up to go beat Magneto. We see Angel 
take off his red jumpsuit and show how his wings are strapped in and that he's able to, you know, unleash them when he puts on his X-Men costume to great relief. But the very next panel, he's in a car. Like they're all yeah. just in the backseat of a limo. Yeah, it's so like, they're where, like in where a are the Rolls wings? Royce or something. It's also very, we're not in the days of the Blackbird coming out of their swimming pool. They have to like get in a car service, go to an airport, get in a, uh, I guess a private jet, but just a normal jet and fly. Toward, like it's so convoluted how they get anywhere. Um, it's very difficult for me to imagine the beast being any use in a battle versus Magneto until they show him grabbing a missile out of the air with his feet. <laughs> yeah, that was a pretty good move. Pretty good move, yeah. Iceman oh. does like the most. I feel uh, like he is putting out missiles with snowballs that he they almost get blown up and he throws like an ice shield over them. He does a lot of good stuff, uh, you know, for a guy um, who's just covered in snow. Uh, yeah, pretty, I guess, I guess he's kind of like the parallel to the human torch. He's got like projectiles and he can Mm -hmm. like change temperatures. So Kirby is probably tapping into some human torch kind of thinking of how to use this, uh, character. Um, it's, it's, I also thought that was funny when they first show up at the base, the army's like, who are you guys? Like, we're the X-Men. And I, eh, what do we got to lose? Go try to fight this guy. They, they accept the, uh, X-Men so easily as an attempt to fight this Magneto guy. These guys have been... Like they're in a world with the FF and Spider-Man. They're already beaten down by superheroes enough that someone shows up in tights and they're like, yeah, okay. Give it a shot. Yeah. Cyclops just asks for 15 minutes to be fair. Yeah, but even like, that us- is crazy. If you walked up to an army sergeant and said, give me 15 minutes, I'll take care of this terrorist. <laughs> they'd say no. <laughs> no matter how you're dressed, Will. What if I, but if I had like a big feet and I could no, like no, balance on the top. You're wearing some sort of 80s visor. They're not what if I'm in. A, what if I'm a redhead and I look like I was poured into my uniform? Then they'd let you in. Okay. Um, so they defeat Magneto and uh, he's he gets away. Um, the very last panel, they're in their plane flying home and Professor X is communicating with them with mental telepathy. And the very last thing he says, and now return to me, my X-Men. And it reminds me of... Uh, House of X, Powers of X, when Professor X is like, to me, my X-Men. Yeah, that has become, that is an interesting phrase, to me, my X-Men, has become a catchphrase of the X-Men. Yeah. Uh, that has been said more and more often in the comics and feels like a classic, thing, like an Avengers Assemble type of line. Yeah. Like it's used like that in comics often, like other characters will say it with sort of a wink and a nod. Yeah. Uh, and then somebody like did research and was like, when was this first said? And it was like, first said like in the 80s. It was like not a thing from these old comics. This is like the closest it gets to it. It was not actually a catchphrase, but it feels like something that should have been said in this issue. Uh, it does. I mean, it is in this issue. It's there in the last panel. It's but not, not to presented. me, my X-Men, it, right? Return to me, my X-Men. Like, yeah. This it, it, The way it's said in, in the other comics is- I, is I know very, what you mean. Yeah, it is, it is not framed up as like a big phrase here. Yeah. Um. So, I don't know. Um. You know, it kinda... that must be where it comes from, but it it is, uh, yeah. Um, I don't know. It, this issue is okay. We got a lot of Magneto with his eyes wide open inside that helmet. Like any good villain, he just looks absolutely bananas every time we see him, just like fully crazed. Uh, um, the X-Men are performing maneuvers to the second, so we know that they're a good team. Um, Here's what I'll say about this X-Men book in isolation. I think it is fun. I don't think it is as fun as even the Ant-Man issues we read, which were sort of crazy, bad fun. Yeah. But the characters, there is some a funness to like a silliness to these weird characters. Like Professor X looks cool, like the serious guy with a bunch of goofball students working for him. Yeah. Kirby's art is good, even if it is like sure. backgroundless and sort of not as elaborate as like his FF work. It's like this comic still, I I read this comic and it still like reads like it was very readable. It was a very fun read. Mm-hmm. It it just isn't as, I mean, again, I read the, the first issue of Thor and I'm like, I don't know if I'd want to read another issue of Thor. I'd rather read another issue of X-Men based on the first issues that we've read. Weirdly, I'd rather read another issue of Ant-Man and the Wasp than anything. <laughs> and I don't know what that says about me because those <laughs> comics are clearly bad. So where do you rank it over Ultimate Spider-Man versus early issues of Ant-Man and the Wasp? I mean, I enjoy I enjoy this between <laughs> in the reverse order anyone else would say. The Ant-Man and Wasp is top. 
<laughs> Ultimate Spider-Man has my bottom. X-Men's right in the middle. It doesn't make any sense. Yeah. Um, they also I think the I would get very tired of Ant-Man very fast if I had to sure. read more of them. But sure. I'm left wanting to read more. I, I've been thinking about that issue since we read it. The shells oh. on top of the ants. Uh, the ants carrying that rifle really stayed with me, and so and, the, and the ashtray with the rubber band also stays with yeah. me. Yeah, I want to just see them try to make Ant Man a thing. <laughs> it's so funny. Um, the word uncanny is here uh, in the third to final panel of the issue. Oh yeah, it is. Um, the X Men have you know scared Magneto off, and the Angel is landing and says to the General, "Your base is operational again, General. Magneto is gone." And the general goes, Uncanny, your 15 minutes are not yet up. Um, and that's the first time Uncanny is used with the X-Men because it's not on the front cover. Yeah, it won't be until Claremont era. Yeah, so maybe, Cla- you know, Claremont was kind of a nerd for reading the previous issues. So maybe he dug into this and was like, well, it's in the first issue. I'm going to use this to to bolster my stuff. I mean, yeah, it's very likely. But why didn't he bring back The Vanisher? <laughs> yeah, we read issue two, The Vanisher. I mean, I don't know. I think it's a step down from Magneto. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Truly just an, a not good villain, I think. The Vanisher, whose costume is like a snake costume? It but looks his power to... is just to disappear? The Vanisher's costume, you, it looks to me like, you know how you, like in the Victorian era, you had those big ruffled collars around guys' necks to show that they're fancy? Mm-hmm. They made a whole outfit out of that, but it's red with a snake on it. Yeah, I mean, it looks to me like it's supposed to be scales, like that's like the the a hooded cobra mask. Yeah, he also looks like he's maybe seventy five years old, right? He's, he looks like about the like he graduated high school with the vulture, which I love that about him. <laughs> but his snake outfit has nothing to do with his powers, right? No, he can just vanish. He can just teleport. Yeah, it's so funny. And then like his crime in the second issue is he goes up to a police officer, says he's going to rob a bank, and they're like, "Okay, we'll watch you do it." <laughs> And then we'll catch you at the last second. Like his his powers don't work if they sit, if they don't walk him into the bank and help him <laughs> rob the place. It's the craziest thing. They're like, all right, well, I can't arrest you for saying you want to rob a bank and I'll walk with you just to make sure. And then only when he's walking out with money in his hand, he disappears. And they're like, ah, oh, <laughs> that's on us. Oh, no. <laughs> that guy's got to get fired, right? That cop's got to get fired. Yeah, he's got to be. I mean, I know we we... Not all cops, right, is what they say, but this cop is bad <laughs> for a different reason. <laughs> anyway, the Vanisher is very, very funny in his lameness. Yeah. Um, so I think it would be a while before the X-Men would become good, but uh, I don't know. I guess a complete story. It's interesting. It's interesting just from this sort of bland acorn, what a mighty oak will grow. Yeah, I mean, like, I think, like I said, I skimmed. I didn't read the next few issues, but, like, Beast starts talking more like I imagine Beast to talk in the third issue. Iceman gets, like, his icy exterior in a few more issues. Yeah. He stops being a snowman. Yeah. Um, And those are huge improvements. Yep. Those I, are big. I do wonder if they just had distinct costumes, if that would have helped them tremendously. Because, like, if you look at the cover of issue um, four, where they're facing the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants... The Brotherhood yeah. of Evil Mutants look more interesting because they're all unique. Like they do look Scarlet good. Scarlet Witch, they... Quicksilver, Toad, and Mastermind, and Magneto. They each have their own thing going. And like the X-Men just sort of like, I know it's like a school uniform thing. It just doesn't work. Yeah. Um, but it's also interesting the New Mutants wore those same uniforms. And it worked for them because their powers were much more visually interesting. Wait, with Sunspot and Cannonball. That's true. Yeah. Well, they they were allowed to visually strut their stuff a little bit better. Even just the lack of masks and hoods on a lot of the new mutants helped. Yeah, just that's seeing true. that cannonball, you could see cannonball's kind of blonde, long, lanky frame. Yeah. And like, um, so they, they looked a little distinctive that way. That's true. That is a good point. Um, but anyway, I don't know. A, a completely fine beginning for what would become the I- most dominant part of marvel comics i think it's an interesting point that it's like it's lee and kirby and that almost hurts it like if somebody else had done it trying to do lee and kirby it might have been more fun or if lee and kirby had done this like a year earlier it might have been more fun yeah it's kind of like oh we gotta you know we have a uh the cohen brothers have a new comic out the x-men it's like oh i can't wait it's like oh this this one they got (laughs) that's weird yeah and it's still like probably better than most things dc's putting out at the time but just not enough better yeah um 
Okay, next episode, we really are doing the Avengers. Yes, that's true. We're not going to lie this time. Okay, so we are doing the Avengers next time. Um, finally meet the Teen Brigade. Yeah, finally. And um, do we want to do any email or should we just wrap it up for right now? Um, want to do one or two? Let's do one or two. Let's see. Emails, right? How do people email us? They can email us by opening up their preferred email client and sending an email to screwitcomics at gmail.com. We also have a Instagram account, screwitcomics, that we'd love if you checked out and followed. And we have a Twitter account, screwitcomics. And we're neutral on whether you follow us there. But we'd really love for you to follow us on Instagram. Uh, Kevin posts a lot of the uh, panels that we talk about. And we'd also mm -hmm. love email from you. Please let us know what you think about the X-Men, uh, especially these this early era of X-Men. Um, what do you think about um, Marvel Girl at this time? And uh, are we being too harsh on this, on this, of the story? Um, and and he, anybody agree that Ant-Man is better than Brian <laughs> Michael Bendis' run on Spider-Man? Let's see. Oh, man, nobody. Don't even, it, don't, don't it, remind it, people I said that. You pushed me into a corner and I had to If you truthful. do feel that way, you should email in. I'll say that. No, don't. Don't. Oh, if you agree with me, yes. <laughs> if you don't, I assume nobody agrees with you. You don't need to so let us is... know that Kevin's wrong. We know he's wrong. But if for some yes. reason you think he's right, let us know. Um, Here's an email from Brandon. To read or not to read. Greetings to both old Wolverine Will and Kevin Hot Takes Hines. <laughs> I have a question for you. There's been some discourse online recently about the proper way to read comics, particularly mm. when it comes to the matter of reading physical and or digital comics directly or watching YouTube videos and or listening to podcasts to go over the stories. <laughs> uh, generally, it seems people are open to consuming comics by any means. However, there are a large number of people fall falling on the side of only reading it yourself or it doesn't count. I've even seen people advocating pirating comics over watching or listening. I personally think there's no issue with your main consumption of comics being through YouTube recaps, reviews, or podcasts. Obviously, comics have gotten pretty expensive lately, and I think for some, buying just isn't an option. The library is a great place to get your hands on free comics, but your options are limited, and they're hardly likely to have the newest releases. So again, I say YouTube and or podcasts are just as viable an outlet to stay up to date on the overall story or to get a feel for a series as a whole. I'm sure I know your answers. It almost need not be asked, but do either of you have a more nuanced opinion on the matter? Keep casting the good pod, Brandon. Uh, Will, I'll take that no prize, but never just cleared a spot on my no shelf. It's on its way. <laughs> wow. <laughs> you had a brief period where you wouldn't give them away, and now you're back. I really, if you if you point out a flaw in our logic and you don't solve it, you don't get a no prize. But for almost anything else, I'll give it no prize. So the closest to actually earning one, you don't get it. If you get close, but you don't actually do it, you don't get one. But if you just kind of ask, okay. I got a I got a bunch of them. Um, so I uh, I think it's either print or iPad. Those are the two ways to read comics. Like on a phone isn't good, and on a laptop's not good. But an iPad to me feels a lot like reading it on paper and it looks great so i'm kind of cool with ipad or paper i don't know maybe that's maybe that's basic but that's how i feel about it yeah that's how i like to read it i mean i'm sort of the mindset's like however you want to read your comics is fine by me like do however works for you like i'll watch these videos where they make fun of movies about movies i don't want to watch just because mm -hmm. uh, i'm like i also kind of find out what happens in those movies yeah. And and so sometimes I like watch these silly videos about movies I'm never going to see to learn the plot of a movie. Um and like I think I don't know, that's not a way to watch. I wouldn't say I'm watching the movie, but I'll I'll like people will be talking about some movie and I'll be like, I'm never gonna see it. I'll read the Wikipedia plot synopsis because I'm curious what what's this ending everyone's talking about. Hmm. So I'll do things like that. Um I mean, so however you want to consume them. Fine, you know, go for it, whatever you want to do. But yeah, I basically I said this recently to somebody. I said, uh, yeah, if you're going to read comics, either read, you know, paper comics or get a tablet. I was like, if you're reading on your desktop, I think that's a pain. And don't read it on your phone unless like you're just like you only would read comics on your phone to me if you don't read many digital comics. And so it's like, oh, I only read digital comics once in a rare while. Yeah. So I'm not going to buy a tablet just for that. Or uh, I'm going to see if I like comic books. I've never really read any comic books. 
you know, like, or I, I don't know what's even available on Marvel Universe. So I'm going to check out this. But like, once you realize oh, I'm reading a bunch of digital comics, get a tablet. Yeah, I, I put them off for a while. But once I got the iPad and you can get a cheap iPad or another tablet and they're about the same dimensions of a page. So like yeah. they're looking the way the artist meant it to look in terms of its size. Um, if you if you have a subscription to Marvel Unlimited or DC Infinity, get a tablet, save up, buy a tablet, get a used one, get one that's a couple generations old. They work fine for reading comics. They don't yeah. need to be the latest model. It's so much better than reading on your phone. It's crazy to me. That said, of like that's how you want to read it. I guess you do you, man. I have heard from very fussy people that you need like the retina level resolution to really have it look rich and as good as like you know, well-printed art. But I don't know. We used to read pretty crappily printed comics and worn yeah. comics that were in the back of a closet. And a digital comic on a tablet looks great. So like, if you've got both tablets next to you, you're going to pick up the good one. <laughs> right, But if right. you only have one, I don't know. It's like, I don't know. It's like when HDTV first came out. Like before you had HDTV, it wasn't like you were like, oh, this is awful. Yeah. Then you got like a good TV. And you're like, oh yeah, this is better. Right, right. It's hard to go back. If you've got a retina-level tablet, don't sell it to buy a worse tablet, <laughs> I guess is what I'm saying. Um, hot take. We like both. <laughs> yeah. I, I mostly read digital because uh, I find it just a just little bit easier. easier than like getting comics yeah. out of bags. And also, then I don't have to store it. Yeah. But uh, paper is better. It's just digital is so convenient. Um, our buddy Eric Tenoy emailed us okay. with endings that elevate earlier works. Okay. Uh, he sets it up. We were talking about Squadron Supreme Will, where the ending, we think, we were hoping the ending would be so good that it would elevate a pretty good comic into a great comic. Yeah. That didn't happen. It was just a pretty good comic. That's right. Uh, and so Eric suggests the first season of The Good Place had an ending that fixed a lot of the flaws of earlier episodes in the season. Up until the big reveal, it felt like a pretty funny series that was marred by the issue that it took place in heaven. <laughs> While Eleanor wasn't meant to be here, which was the hook of the show, many of the side characters seemed like they hadn't been great people either. I chalked that up to being a sitcom and needing characters to be funny. If everyone was a benevolent, forgiving soul, it might be harder to generate material. And honestly, I felt like maybe the writers were falling back on the kinds of characters they knew from previous sitcom work rather than figuring figuring out how to generate comedy with unimpeachably moral characters at its center. But the turn at the end of the season revealed that what had seemed like flaws in the show were intentional parts of its design. So it retroactively made me like those earlier episodes a lot better. It's a really good uh, example. I think that is maybe the best example we've had so far. Leave it to Tinoy. Uh, I think that's harder to do in an ongoing work like a comic book or TV series because there are so many stopping points along the way where someone can just quit reading, watching before they get to the end and retroactively make the earlier parts better. A movie can do that more easily since a viewer doesn't really have the time to stop and question what's happening before getting to the end. It's even harder now in the internet age when fans can gather and discuss possible outcomes online. The way that a lot of people figured out the gimmick to the first season of Westworld early on. Uh, that's all. You don't have to read this in its entirety. I am not Chris Gethard. <laughs> uh, I did skip two sentences, so that is. I'm glad he gave me that permission. Um, it's yeah, a great example. A pretty a great good example. example. Uh, I mean, I think Good Place is a little better than okay. Um, yeah, but it is true that like, like what felt like sort of a silly, absurdy premise became like a very cool show with that twist. Um, yes. Yeah. I mean, it's like Eric said, it fixed what looked like a flaw or retroactively changed what seemed to be a flaw into a kind of masterstroke. Yeah. I always, I always, I think of that twist as a cheat in the yeah. sense that like, like there's other silly things that happen in that show that are just silly things. Yeah. Like it's a comedy. So it's like, yeah, they're not like clues, right? It's not like you're watching a mystery and you're like, oh, I know who murdered because this was said. It, it, you can't figure it out. And if you guessed it, I, I mean, good for you, I guess. But it, it's also like you're ignoring other – like when we finally do see heaven in that show, it's also a weird, strange place that doesn't really make sense because it's an yeah. absurdist show. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it is fun. Like you can hide clues in a sitcom easier than in a real show. Yes. Um, I'm going to read one last one and then we'll call it well. Okay. Uh, Zeke Norton, who's been emailing us trying to get us to read non-superhero work. Okay. 
Um, has we mentioned, uh, are there good runs longer than 75 issues by the same creative team? Right. We talked about that. Cause like Neil Gaiman and, uh, um, then Lucifer, mm-hmm. um, by what's the Lucifer writer's name, Mike Carey. Yeah. So we're both 75 issues and that's, and that's after 75 is when FF seemed to get a little, little more wonky. So. And his answer is a blind spot of ours. Well, one word manga. Oh, right. Yeah. That's yeah. interesting. Uh, yeah. And he goes, Sandman is, uh, is about 2,000 pages. Lone Wolf and Cub is almost 9,000 pages. One Piece clocks in at 21,500 uh, pages and is still going strong. A contemporary manga I'm enjoying is the Vinland Saga, 5,200 pages so far. The best volume yet was just published last week. Uh, you should do an episode or two on some manga. He said, beating the same non-superhero drum. Lone Wolf or Akira would fit into your 80s comics aesthetic. Uh, (laughs) Keep on stopping in the free world. Uh, P.S. Will should play Galactus on Comedy Bang Bang. Joe Wanger already did a Galactus-like character. I thought about it, but he did did one. I think it was – it wasn't Drax, but it had a name very similar to Drax. Yeah. Uh, Manga was definitely something uh, I forget about. Uh, I know, which is crazy. Super long runs. Yeah. So it's hard for me to say like whether like, oh, those are great beyond or like I can also imagine those books being like so so for the first 50 issues and then becoming great for 100 issues and then becoming so, like, but I haven't read them. So that I don't know. Yeah, um, it is a huge blind spot for us, for sure. I mean, also, Yusaji Ojimbo is one I thought about, like, but it's been going forever and it's uh, it doesn't get better. But it certainly doesn't get worse. It just sort of stays just as good always. And they've yeah. had there's like 50 volumes of that as well. Yeah. So, um, okay. Well, we're wrong. Um, no prize. <laughs> no prize out to uh, to you, Kevin. You get a no prize. Me? Oh, yeah. Great. Sorry, Zeke. <laughs> uh, that's it, Will. Okay. So uh, next episode, really, we're gonna do Avengers, and uh, Maybe. and then and then Daredevil will be the episode after that, and then we'll be done, right? Yeah. Then we'll do something else. Okay, so uh, come back next episode. We're going to talk about the Avengers. Bye, everybody. Bye. Screw it, screw it. We're just going to talk about comics.